Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here, and we thought it would be nice to end the year off with just a, a bit of a year in review. You know, we've had 40 or 50 so shows this year and just looking through all the events that Canadians had to go through, I think it was about time we we take an accounting and just basically, Christo, get a, get a status for Canada if it's going in a more positive direction or a more negative. So if you will, strap in folks and let's get started of beginning of the year, January 2022, at least here in Ontario and I know in other provinces uh, in Canada, there were still some very, very stringent COVID restrictions. At least at the beginning of the year, there was um, lockdowns at school that they weren't gonna go to school and there was a bunch of restrictions that were heavily enforced for our safety. And one of the biggest stories was Doug Ford and the conservative government here in Ontario really pushing against that when they had the time to make the fixes that they needed to make our schools safe and kind of decided not to. And it's really interesting, Crystal, looking at the choices that were made then and then just seeing how that government has dealt with education in the subsequent months since January, you know, how how yeah. they the choices they made for kids right since that well, time. Yeah, exactly. Because it was all like kids need to be back in the classroom, mm -hmm. which, again, was was never a dichotomy. I mean, sh certainly early on in covid when there was no vaccines or vaccines were very, very difficult to access. I think a lot of us were like for the good of everybody, we, we can't have people go back to class. And we acknowledge that for younger people, it wasn't as deadly, although it could still be deadly, but it would put a lot of people at risk. Um, but, you know, at some point it really became clear that what teachers were asking for, what parents were asking for, what progressives were asking for, students were asking for was that, you know, we can go back to school and have it be safe with social distancing, with uh, better ventilation, with you know, all these protections. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. The government sort of just... Uh, you know, and they'll say they did things, but they sort of just said, well, we're, we're not really going to actually address the issues, but we're going to try to like everyone has to be back in class mm -hmm. uh, for the good of the kids. But of course, as we saw, uh, this is a government that was willing to fuck over the the poorest paid workers uh, in the education system uh, in order to, uh, you know, uh, save a few bucks. Uh, you know, putting the, the school year at risk again, mm. right? I just, I think that... It is strange, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not even strange. It's just, it's it's their ideology, yeah. right? I mean, the reality is that they understand that parents want their kids back in school because parents care about their kids' educations, but also it's like, you know, it's... It, it's 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 difficult to to work and it's difficult to manage your life when uh, your kids aren't in school. Right. You know, mm -hmm. even if you work from home, but especially if you don't, you have to figure out all these arrangements. And, you know, parents wanted some normalcy again and they understood that, but they weren't willing to make the actual social and economic investments to really make that happen and be safe. Yeah. So they just banked on the fact that you know, parents would, would tolerate that. And by the election, I frankly, it worked. And I think they got a bit lucky with the timing of the election. Right? Yeah. It was just timing. a few months before, if this had happened yeah. a month before, cause you remember, I'm just looking through our it past was a shows dip in the COVID cases, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it was, the election was timed well, 
I mean, it kind of just worked out. I mean, there was, you know, kind of at the four-year period of the term anyway, but they were lucky in the sense that if the election was a year earlier and it was in the midst of a big, big, big wave of COVID, or if it happened, you know, as cases were higher, it was at a point where cases were lower, but more broadly, people are acting and still are to some degree as if uh, the, the, the pandemic is over. Right? Yeah, they're sick of it. Even though at that exact same time, a story that came out months later, it was found that the Ford government was giving the necessary PPE to these very wealthy private schools, yeah. you know, essentially cutting the line when so many public school uh, systems did not have the needed protection. Like it was so overt and evil and I remember during those months the excitement that we had with the notion that you know this is evil this is really going to hurt people but at the very least we're gonna see Andrew Horvath we're gonna see Singh we're even we're gonna see the liberals come out really really hard against Ford when the election came around and the amazing thing was Christo you remember those debates there was not the vitriol that the situation required considering Doug Ford was doing social murder months before they were arguing and and, you know pratfalling about the green belt which is an important issue and should be talked about well it was they were talking about some of the issues correctly but they yeah. weren't tapping into the anger like people were furious at ford and had been for years and no one was tapping into that i mean horwath was far angrier in the 2018 election yeah. <laughs> and like look she ultimately didn't get to the finish line but you know you look at the ndp in this election and i don't I, it's not just the debates of course like mm-hmm. it was multifaceted but like you know, Horwath was pissed at Wynn and pissed at the idea that Ford could be her replacement. And she ended up finishing in a strong second. This time, she wasn't nearly as angry, wasn't nearly as like, 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 in, and I mean this in a good way, like almost like rowdy a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the NDP did finish second uh, again, but they lost a bunch of seats and they lost like 800,000 votes. Yeah. Right. They lost 800,000. And like, let's be real. The liberals tied them. Like, first past the post is broken, even when it benefits us. You know, yeah. they, they, they effectively got the same amount of votes as the Liberals, who, who made big gains, or at, at least didn't lose any of their core voters, whereas we lost 800,000. Uh, and maybe it's in part because Horwath lost that, that, that grasp on the anger, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, the policies were decent. The, the, the NDP in Ontario, like, they, they're not going to run on a left-wing enough policy. We know that. Like, we, But she opened like, up poli- with, like, yeah, free psychiatric access in a big way. The policies way. Have, been, have been far worse from the NDP yeah. in the past. Uh, so it wasn't, it was like, the, the anger wasn't there. Mm-hmm. People were pissed. Like, and part of it, I think, was just, you know, timing. And ironic as it is, people were still pissed at Ford, but, like, they were probably less pissed at him then than they were a year before. Yeah. Uh, but... But maybe there was a sense they felt that that because people were less pissed at Ford that going at him too hard would backfire. But like the thing is, is one, I, I, I disagree. But two, it's like in this election, you know, the way first past the post works is you, you only need like 40 percent to win a majority. Yeah. And so at least 40 percent of this province fucking despises Ford, right? <laughs> at least 40 percent. And there's a good bunch of the rest that that don't like him very much and probably 20 to 30 percent that love him. And then like another 10 percent, 15 percent, whatever. I know these, I'm probably adding up to more than 100. But you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's you don't have to worry about getting 60 percent of the population to hate Doug Ford along with you. You just have to capture that 40 percent. That's like willing to crawl through the mud 
to tell this guy to fuck off. Yeah, he has that strong majority right now with a 40% share of the total votes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, he got got, because his vote, uh, 40% usually in a first-past-the-post in a a multi-party system is enough. Like if you got like a three three or four-party, which we do in Ontario, we have like a four-party, three-and-a-half-party system. Um, you know, 40 is almost always enough to get a majority. And like the, the, with the, the coalition Ford has, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's an efficient vote. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are big questions still, though. And I think that, like, while I think you could blame a lot of the opposition, there's, like, questions about, like, the motivations of the voters. Because, again, there was a federal election less than a year before that provincial one, right? Mm-hmm. And we know in Ontario, we know this, that the ridings are essentially mirrored, right? Like the federal ridings and provincial ridings are basically the same. Um, And those same people that voted for uh, Doug Ford voted for Justin Trudeau. Yeah. We right? talked like, about like, the flip-flopping, yeah, that exactly. phenomenon. We talked about that, right? Like like the the, 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 like the, the same province, with the, the, they voted, you know, yes, yeah, downtown Toronto voted NDP liberal, and federally they just voted liberal, but they, you know, they voted, they voted, so there's, and, and rural Ontario voted conservative both times, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and like the North largely voted NDP both times, blah, blah, blah. But like that suburban area voted for Trudeau and then went a few months longer and then voted for Ford. And you you do have to ask yourselves why that is. And I don't know if that's just people were angry enough at Ford because you would think that like the people who voted for Trudeau, maybe they're already primed for that. And yeah. I think that these are some big questions about like how Ford built that coalition and like what's what's going to take to tear down that coalition. I do wonder, Christo, you know, in the months we've had since then, if looking back at these results, there could be a reflection of, you know, a, a segment of people in that progressive in that uh, conservative coalition that really do see politics as kind of a secondary thing because, you know, they live very strong well, upper middle class lives. To be fair. No, but I even mean, most people. Yeah. Most even, people, even like, like they, they have necessity to have that ability, yeah. so to speak. Like right. The, the, <laughs> turnout was under 50 percent, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, was it was one like, of the lowest yeah. ever. Right. Yeah, 2022 election. The turnout was at least just just Wikipedia. Turnout was forty three. Fuck it, forty three. I thought it was like forty eight. Forty three, forty four percent down thirteen from the last election. So the average Ontarian definitely sees politics, at least electoral politics, mm-hmm. as secondary. They don't even vote, or they didn't even vote this time. Uh, and so yeah, I think that's part of it. It could be that the transaction of politics that like. Trudeau, uh, Trudeau was doing fine enough in their view. Uh, you know, he, you know, there was the tax credits, the child tax credits, uh, the seniors got that one time top up, uh, you know, and Ford had the driver's license thing. And it might be the case that like voters just were fine with these things and, uh, made pocket pocketbook decisions, quote unquote, Mm. uh, whether or not those are always accurate pocketbook decisions are not always accurate. Like a government can tell you that you'll be further ahead, you know, at the end of the year, if you vote for them, um, and then you might not be. Yeah. I wonder how that, that panned out, right? We're at the end of the year folks. So if you know someone that, you know, made those decisions, pose that question to them. Do you feel like you're further ahead at the end of the year? I, I don't necessarily think this Ford coalition has, you know, rested the economy free from the hands of progressives and out of COVID. Like uh, clearly we've, many people have been suffering. Well, there's even those things. There's like the differences too. There's like the, there's the, 
there's the politic there's like there's the personal pocketbook decisions mm-hmm. and then there's like the so that's like you know my taxes went x down or x up i got this transfer payment my driver's license fee i could sit down and say at the end of the year because of this government um I am $75 richer, right? <laughs> Versus like the broader question of which party's going to run a deficit more. Yeah. Uh, that one's always, and the conservatives, at least in the 2018 election, the, the, all, all the expert analyses showed that they would run the biggest deficits because while they, they weren't promising as much new spending, the tax cuts yeah. uh, they, the they cash, were yeah. proposing were ra- rather large and the cuts they were proposing were were rather in relative terms to the tax weren't going to offset them, so they were just you know it was basically paying for tax cuts with debt. Whereas the NDP was co- of course going to raise spending quite significantly, but in so doing they would uh, actually run the lowest deficits because they would recover some of that, although not all of it, from from taxation. Uh, and so I think that that that's something. But I mean that's something that we still have to really look into. Like those people that voted for Trudeau. And then voted for four. There were NDPers who voted probably, but like the main swing was red nine oh five. Yeah, went blue. And why? And that's and, something. And that we, NDP went decided not to vote is what we. And NDP, yeah, NDPers largely decided not to vote, yeah. uh, or not largely, obviously. But like, but yeah, Measurably, that was the big yeah. shift. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, there was a measurable decline in the NDP vote, uh, more than any other party by far. Yeah, so I just yeah. think now, yeah. Christo, as we we kind of look back, did a bit of a summary there. I do think that the the message I want to give out for the NDP going into 2023 is to try to capitalize on, and we're going to see it with the stories we uh, keep talking about today, on the very rightful and needed level of distress and mirroring mirroring of the constituents who are at the end of their robes, who have went through this 2022 year and want to have a stronger, louder, as one of our guests on the program once said, an angrier NDP going into 2023. Now, do you think that Merritt Stiles, the new leader, will be able to embody that? Because we haven't seen much from her. We've talked about, again, in a previous show, her record and some of the work that she's done on uh, fighting against the uh, conservative education plans that have really hurt uh, Ontario kids. But yeah, what do you think? Do you think she'll be able to do that? I mean, I do think she's going to have more passion in that sense than Andrea did. Of course, we don't know yet. But one thing I will say is that she was effective in her like critic role, mm-hmm. right? As as education critic, uh, and often, you know, she was, you know, she was better, I think, than most, uh, if not any of the other NDP MPPs at like getting media attention. And we know that the that the party often gets less; they often got less attention. Than, than they should have given that they were the only opposition party, right? Like the liberals weren't technically a party. Greens aren't technically a party. And there was, I, I felt there was an effort to sort of equivalent, make an equivalent between the NDP and the liberals in the last, in the 2018 or the 2018, the 2022 legislature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she was always able to get the good media. And I think that bodes well. Like somebody that's able to uh, make their points to build those relationships with the people that she was tasked with meeting with, like teachers and students and parents, and and then always kind of being in the news for calling out Lecce, I think is like one of those things that 
is going to uh, uh, be a good sign mm -hmm. that she was better than most in her critic role. Uh, you know, there was lots of other critic roles where there's lots to criticize Ford on, but she was the most visible uh, by far. So I think mm. that's a good sign. Um, we don't know yet, but like obviously now in a sense, her, that, that's her job now, but with Ford and with the broader government in particular, right? Yeah. You know, and I think that she was probably the best at that. Uh, does that translate uh, to, uh, uh, who knows? We talked about this before, but like mm -hmm. Mulcair was fantastic at that stuff. Uh, was great at 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 making the at, at at attacking Harper and getting media coverage of those attacks and galvanizing people against him. It didn't ultimately lead to him winning, but it was uh, essential to defeating Harper. And mm -hmm. so we'll have to see if 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 uh, Styles can do that. There we go. Uh, I do think probably the biggest story that was exported out of Canada had to be. At the beginning of the year, we did some jumping around in the timeline, but right as those COVID lockdowns were in, you know, kind of just uh, giving way and, and we're just breaking for some of the worst that we had had for, for several months. There was beginning on January 22nd, hundred hundreds of vehicles forming convoys, several points and traversing different Canadian provinces before converging on Ottawa. Finally, on January 29th for, of course, the trucker convoy, the the rally, so to speak. That's what Wikipedia is calling it, but I think we're not going to call it that. that. That happened at uh, Parliament Hill that lasted a couple weeks and was exported around the world. You know, the, this was a movement that was very Canadian. We talked about it for months and months. Everyone's talked about it. Now, looking back... I think it's safe to say, at least for me, one of the most interesting reflections is how the actual meaningful criticisms of capitalism were subsumed by those rightfully criticizing the dangerous, sometimes even terroristic tendencies of the truckers who are involved or not even real truckers, just the random people who are involved in this protest as an excuse to not actually listen to the meaningful things that might have been said, not that COVID's that uh, vaccines will kill you. And, you know, if you take them, it's it's not our freedom. But the fact that, you know, many people today in Canada are being crushed in different ways by the boot of capitalism and no yeah, but those one people weren't saying, yeah, but those people like we talked, we talked about this, yeah. right? Like this was uh, a primarily a bourgeois movement. Mm -hmm. It was not representative racially or class based of the actual industry where, you know, the where were all the uh, Pun, uh, the, 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 the yeah. Punjabi and, 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 and other South Asian uh, truckers. Uh, they were where, stuck where, freezing to death in Detroit, well, if well, you remember. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so. And a lot of these were owner operators and that kind of makes gives them like a quasi bourgeois reality in some cases. Some of them were literally company owners, like they literally were capitalists. Mm -hmm. But like look, the like part of this was on them. Like they they could have done that. Like they could have done a kind of right wing populist thing where it's like we're opposing the government's mandates. We want freedom. We we don't like the vaccine, or at least we don't want the like vac like the vaccine mandates. We don't like the mask mandates, blah, 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 uh, all of this. And like, I'm not legitimizing it, but then, but then they say, but we also have concerns about working conditions. Mm -hmm. We also have concerns about surveillance 
uh, in the industry, how workers are losing their autonomy in this industry, how, you know, through technology, workers are effectively being spied on by their bosses. And we, we have worries about, you know, all of these, these things, uh, safety conditions, uh, hours of work, mm -hmm. road conditions, like, like this is part of a broader thing. We want like liberty, uh, and we want it, we want dignity as, as, as truckers, but it just was a right wing event, right? Yeah. Like, and there were like, I understand. And some people have said, we even had Dimitri Lascaris on, right. Who, who said like, you know, I spoke with those people and there's more commonality there than you think. And I don't, I don't doubt him, but the, the aims of the event were almost entirely right wing. Mm -hmm. Right. There was no hodgepodge. There was no we're going to do some racism <laughs> and we're going to do some anti-vax stuff. But also let's raise the minimum wage. Yeah. Right. There was none of that. There was not even like a six of one half a dozen of the other sort of like disingenuous even right wing populism. It was just a right wing movement. Yeah, no, it, it was, was more right anarchistic of like we're here to well, depose Trudeau, well, right? I mean, maybe I don't even know if it's anarchistic. I mean, yeah. the, the anarchist listening would would very much disagree, but <laughs> I mean, it was it was just yeah, there was like a, a certain anti-authoritarianism, mm -hmm. yeah, but I mean, it was in the right wing sense. There's this famous quote. I forget who 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 wrote it, but it's this this famous quote that's basically in the mind of the conservative of the right winger, the law exists to protect them and bind others mm. meaning the law is there to protect their rights and to protect their freedoms but it's there to punish and constrain anyone uh based on identity or ideology mm. or what have you that they disagree with so the law is there to protect their guns and to protect their ability to not get vaccinated or not wear a mask but the law is not there to protect say a woman's right to choose or other people's right to protest or uh, in this case, even even basic workers rights who. Yeah, they're I, I, workers they, who, yeah, you know, were still working even while they were at the yeah. protest. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't necessarily taking an anti worker right position. They weren't saying we want the minimum wage lowered or something. They weren't doing that, of course, but they were taking right wing positions. Right. And so um, I do think there's like there are things to learn from that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I think it was like much more just a traditional right wing movement. Yeah. Then I, I, I think a lot of people give it credit for. And I think in that sense, it's not that we can't learn anything from it. And obviously they mobilized very successfully and maybe there are tactical things to learn. But like, it's just, it's not, it wasn't this like new thing. Right. And because of that, it's like, I don't know what we can learn as leftists. Right. Yeah, I don't necessarily sure. think like there's a great message to learn. We've had people on the show that have said that. I, I just think for me, the, the most depressing thing is that even though these ideas and I should have articulated it better, these ideas weren't being presented as they should, you know, there were different figures that they put up to actually explain away the the torment and bad things in their life when really, no, it's it's clearly these forces that are actively working against you if you are of that class. When the criticism came, when the boot came down, I do feel like it was unfortunate that it condemned any sort of notion of anything that had to do with working class rights. I do feel like this, the, what happened with the trucker protest and the response just generally culturally is gonna make it harder in Canada to actually talk about those sort of needed workers' rights reforms simply because it furthers this culture of us versus them by these different class lines. When I, mean, I, I, I don't I, know I, about that. I don't yeah. know because... 
I'm not, I'm not sure. saying they have those opinions. I'm not because saying I, that they held those ideals. I'm saying as an outcome. No, no, no. But like yeah. when, when, okay, a lot of the discourse, even from some like normie libs, like mm-hmm. on social media during this, didn't go as much as I thought at least, maybe I missed it, into like reflexive like anti-workerism. I'm mm-hmm. thinking like, and maybe you're thinking it's like, like a Bernie 2016 yeah. where identity politics was weaponized against labor and weaponized against healthcare and things like that. I don't know if I saw that as much here. Even a lot of like liberal party supporters very clearly went to this idea that like the real truckers are the ones stranded at border stations all across the country and they're predominantly racialized and they're asking for a lot. They're at, they are pissed, but they're asking mm-hmm. for uh, better protections and they're asking for better wages and they're asking for, uh, you know, an end to discrimination in the industry, and they're asking for all of these things. And, and, and I think that was something that was raised. And a lot of the people who, for example, uh, oppose this convoy would have supported the teacher strike here in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and both of those are, are, are uh, one is an actual workers' movement, but both of those are, are disruptions based on uh, grievances, uh, ostensibly based on workers' issues, although one legitimately so. And, and I think the, the, the support was, was different. So I, I'm not sure. I get what you're hmm. saying, but again, I think you I saw like better people. I feel like case. I saw worse people, Christo, I feel like that, that would have been the case more if they actually did take some workers' positions. Yeah. Right? Okay. Ironic as it is, like if they would have, say, had like a oh. five plank platform and like no particular order, no masks, no mask mandate, no vaccine mandate, um, Op- the border's got to be open again, like like as per usual. Like we want the border pre pre twenty pre February twenty twenty or whatever it is. Um, and also we want uh, a higher minimum wage, and we want some tracing trucker specific labor yeah. demand. Then maybe it would have ironically, because then it would have been like you're conflating anti vaxism uh, anti anti vaccine hysteria with the demand for basic labor standards to be improved. And they didn't really do that. And so because of that, it was easy for for people to kind of separate the the right-wing politics of this from any of the class-based demands because there were none. There were none, mm. I think. That, that's my view. Interesting. Uh, that's my Folks, view. this is your final chance of the year to tell us what you think. If you can recall, are you Christo or Andy on this one? I'm like, I'm, look, I, I, look I'm, I'm sure that like there were some people, but like yeah. I just I, I think that the discourse on this didn't really go to like an, a reflexive anti-worker position. I okay. think a lot of people realized that these people weren't really that like weren't really reflective of the of the industry the workers in the industry yeah the, I think the big the that. big phenomenon though that i think we will agree on maybe we won't we'll find out on this one christo was the kind of uh i don't want to say birthing because that's a horrifying image but the uh growing popularity of one pierre polievra who is uh, leader of the conservatives the federal conservatives who really was one of the first politicians as i recall that of note that jumped on and was willing to be photographed with these people that was willing to talk to them was willing to push this message and act like there was a needed workers rights crisis being presented and then of course we've seen the year he has had and a lot of the earlier successes that he's had as a politician here in canada again not winning 
anything too official beyond the leadership, uh, you know, on a broad uh, basis here across the country. So I don't want to be too premature. But we did see a politician that was willing to say things that were remarkably right wing, that were at least seemingly populist and was succeeding over other conservatives that were suggesting something a little more measured in, at least in their minds, even a little more neoliberal and him seemingly having a lot more support and success based on that. Going into 2023 and the subsequent years with the conservative party helmed by old PP, you know, do you think that this change will lead to a a bigger success for this sort of politician because these are just you know we've seen in the United States and you cover the United States every single day the way of the world is changing and and clearly there needs to be a politics that represents that or is this not that is this is this that light do you think he's captured that lightning in a bottle and would it work here in Canada I'm not sure I think I said this before that and I'm not saying that Polyevra can't win because eventually a non like someone's gonna you know and and look I hope someone's the NDP gonna do wins it. but like you know it's like in, in in general like Canada like since really the end of World War One really it's like the Liberals are usually in power federally and then the Conservatives get a turn like sometimes and like they'll be in power for five six seven eight years whatever and then it'll be the Liberals turn again for like a, a bit right and like mm-hmm. that's generally how it goes in Canada. Um, and so eventually it'll be the conservatives turn. Right. And the longer the liberals are in power, the more likely they are to lose. Right. Like that's just that's just the math. But I almost wonder if Polly Evra is like he's the Hudak and Ford mm. is is like, look, Ford is a right winger and he does a lot of right wing things. And he you know, a lot of these people voted for Doug Ford, too. But like he's not nearly as ideological in his like a, his presentation. Yeah, he's not, not going on about we're Bitcoin <laughs> And he didn't, I don't think he met, did Doug Ford meet with any of the convoyers? I, he I worked think. very hard not to do that. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. You know, through. like he was like, you know, uh, and Polly Ever, look, it, this kicked off, right? Like the, like the, the, when this was happening is when they turfed O'Toole, right? Remember? Yeah, and like yeah. he went out there and Candace Bergen, I think, and, and like not all the conservative MPs did, but more than a few did. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that clearly what it's done in some ways has made him conservative leader uh, easily. There was, there was no, like, it yeah. wasn't like Peter McKay where, like, he was expected to win and, and then he got reeled in and then he ended up losing to, the, there was no contest. It was, it was, it, it was, it was just, you know, the entire time, like, no one really had a, ch- a shot at beating him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he raised a ton of money and he signed up a ton of members. And so clearly there is a value in it. But you do got to wonder. One thing he seems to have, although uh, there, I need to see more polling, I think, because uh, cross tabs can be can be very volatile. But like he seems to be doing better among young people than previous conservative leaders, which is concerning, but worse among older people than mm. recent conservative leaders. And in general, he's very unpopular. He's more unpopular at like this state, I haven't seen the most recent polling, but like, you know, like, like X amount of months after he became leader, he was more unpopular than O'Toole and Shear were, right? Mm. Like conservatives are often unpopular because a lot of voters see themselves as ABC. So they kind of just don't like conservatives. So conservative leaders can be at least mildly unpopular because they really only need to get 35, 40% of the vote. And 
you know, a, a lot of NDP voters might be okay with Trudeau, and a lot of liberal voters like Singh, actually. It's one of the reasons Singh is popular. Even if they won't vote for him, they like him. But most non-conservative voters don't like the conservative leader. But he's still, nonetheless, quite unpopular. Uh, and I don't know if this the, the hardline ideology will work. I, I don't know. Mm. I don't know if he'll... One, one early test... Now, this is, this is just a... It's a small sample, but there was a recent by-election in Mississauga. Uh, and this was kind of known to be coming for a while. And a lot of people said, you know, this is going to be his first test. It's a it's a seat that the liberals hold. It is a liberal seat, but it's not. It, it was a relatively close election back in 20, uh, the 2021 election. Uh, it's a 905 seat. It's the exact kind of seat he will need to win to, to probably form a government, certainly a majority, but to form a government. Right. Like he'll need to mm -hmm. win a seat that's, like that. That's where it needs to and be, yeah. not only did they lose, but they lost by a lot. And I know like people like turnout was really low, but it's like, man, you got a brand new leader whose whole thing is that he's energizing the Canadians fed up with Trudeau. All these big rallies that he had, right? These massive rallies. And they had a shitty fucking turnout in Mississauga and they couldn't mobilize people. The, the supposed uh, silent masses angry at Trudeau. And the mm. liberals won that by more than they did last time. You know, uh, that's 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 devastating. So I actually think like that's not getting enough attention. The Mississauga Lakeshore by-election was was really, uh, really concerning. Again, like the, the the turnout was super low, right? Yeah. But again, if you're that should benefit the conservatives because then you, you don't even need to like you could you could if, if people really are angry at true, you can turn out a small activist base and maybe win. It's how enemy Paul almost did really well in Toronto Center. Remember, mm -hmm. enemy Paul did really well in Toronto. Excuse me. Uh, uh, did really well in. Uh, yeah, she did real in Toronto there, Center yeah. in that by-election, mm -hmm. if you recall. And then when she ran in the general. Uh, she got, she got, well, she didn't even do that well, but she lost 42 to 33 mm. in the by-election. And then when she ran in the general, she got 9% and finished fourth, <laughs> right? Because she, she, she was relying on the fact that in a by-election, um, turnout's going to be low, energy's going to be low, and we can like target resources and, and hopefully win. The conservatives didn't do that here. The liberals mm. not only won 51 to 37, they gained six and a half percent of the vote. The conservatives lost one and a half percent of the vote. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. The NDP and the Greens in this riding are, are largely irrelevant. Both yeah. of them got under five percent. This is a blue. This is a blue red riding. Right. Um, massive, massive loss. And I, you got to wonder if uh, if uh, people uh, just aren't buying the the his his style of conservatism. I wonder if the collapse of just Bitcoin and and all of the controversies surrounding cryptocurrencies have affected just the general um, feeling towards Pierre, considering how strongly he came out saying that that will be, you know, the new Canadian currency following the, some of the disastrous results of, you know, other smaller countries that have tried to do the same sort of thing. Like he was doing that earlier in the year when there were Super Bowl ads with how great this would all be. And now, obviously, we, we're seeing the outcome of that. I'm wondering if that is something that, you know, normies would know him as. Like, it has to be, oh, he was the guy who talked to the truckers. It has to be that because that was a huge news story. And I'm wondering if he actually did the get... 
you know, some penetration into the the minds of regular people who don't have to listen to this stuff every day when he was pushing the Bitcoin story really early on. Because as you recall, Christo, that was a huge plank of his plan. That was something that he loved to talk about everyone, even more than vaccines, it felt like. He wanted to explain how crypto and Bitcoin would change the way that we deal with currencies. And as you talked about then, even his plan back then, when Bitcoin was on a bit of a rise, was still just ludicrous and foolish and wasn't reflective of fiat fiat currency. So just silly. But uh, what do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, I I feel like, yeah, a lot of Canadians just kind of perceive that as being a bit of like snake oil. But like, I don't I don't know if that's the reason. I don't think, for example, the reason they lost the Mississauga (laughs) by-election. Right. And I mean, like, if you look at the general polling, he's still polling pretty well. He's polling in first in most polls. But it's like I don't I don't think the Mississauga by-election was driven by uh, the performance of cryptocurrency yeah i mean i do think that's like that's you know obviously uh, should be a warning sign to canadians who are like you really want to trust this guy right like this is his ideology in action but i just i don't think so i really yeah. don't i don't he think he doesn't that's... have the juice right now does he like there's really nothing i haven't seen him at all again being able no, he's to been a little quiet recently <laughs> yeah he, he was you know he had a very successful leadership campaign and generated a lot of interest and uh, you know, there there was certainly uh, he certainly had some momentum then and, and won. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's maybe maybe he, I, I'm not sure, but it yeah. hasn't gone as swimmingly as it started. But he could still, of course, win. But I think that by-election is a big loss for him. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to keep watching that into the new year. It's it's interesting to see that maybe he is dragging a little bit. Uh, just two more quick big stories that I really want to discuss back in February when kind of the unthinkable happened. I don't believe a lot of um, foreign policy analysts believe this was going to happen. Russia decided to have a special military operation in Ukraine to demilitarize and denazify the country, which, of course, led to full-blown war, massive mobilization of NATO resources to fight Russia, and it's still going on today. We saw here in Canada, especially early on, just full-throated support. And I think the most depressing thing about this entire endeavor, beyond the complete absolute tragedy of the loss of human life and absolutely as we've said so many times in the show russia and the forces there are are committing atrocities and it's horrifying but the fact that there wasn't a stronger political voice in this country we didn't hear singh say it in the way that we wanted saying that there needs to be peace and canada should not be involved so for me looking back i feel like that's a really depressing note on maybe where our country yeah. is going. Because at the time, remember, there was fears of nuclear annihilation, right? Early on, that was a an actual concern. And the fact that even then, Krista, we didn't have the NDP leader saying like, hey, very I, Yeah, I just think that like, it's just politically, it's just, it's not, it's a non-starter. And once yeah. Russia invaded, then there's no, you like, look, and like, it's just, once Russia invaded, man, like, yeah, I don't know. And like, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, Russia. I I didn't think it was gonna happen. I was wrong. I was wrong. I didn't think it was gonna happen. 
And I think I under underplayed that. Uh, and I think that I think a lot of us on the look, I think that like to some degree, Russia's the bad guy here. And mm-hmm. it's probably good. We are to some degree helping Ukraine. Um, but uh, I do think there are persistent concerns about fascism. Uh, both in both Russia and the Ukraine, but we're only helping one of those countries. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, but we're only training just, one group of Nazis, as we said before. Well, it, well, exactly. Right. But um, I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, an, an anti-war voice. I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know if that's really, you know, was was ever going to be politically palatable or if we would even have a reasonable expectation of that. Right. I just, I don't know. Oh, Christo, come, really? You didn't think no, it? The, no, wow. Not, not, not with the Ukraine, no. Yeah. Russia, Russia's a big bad guy right now, uh, and Russia's an easy bad guy in, in Canada for many reasons. Mm-hmm. We have a large Ukrainian population, so even our conservatives, more than the conservatives in the United States, like the MAGA conservatives, the, the Trumpy types who are, you know, increasingly sympathetic to Russia, we don't have that here. The Ukrainians yeah. are too strong. Um, uh, Russia is a right wing state. It's like they're like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't understand, frankly, why so many on the left are, I get why they're not like defending Ukraine, but I get, I, I don't understand why some defend Russia. This is not China where yeah. like we can have <laughs> debates about Chinese communism and what it is. And is it calm? Like there, there are debates, but China in a sense is a, is a, at least purports to be a socialist state. And I can understand why those on the left defend China. Um, but but Russia is is a is a right wing patriarchal even more than Canada homophobic yeah. even more than Canada you know state uh, that that like that you know there's there's a lot of it politically I mean you can see why there was never a concerted effort to be anti war against Russia especially mm-hmm. again because Russia at least in the the conception is 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 the, the quote unquote aggressor right. Mm. Interesting. And, well, not even quote unquote. I mean, well, there are debates that did NATO and no. I think it's. I think we can hand, say aggressor but, now at this. Yeah, point, but right? like ultimately they invaded another country. But yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. I was not surprised. There was no. There was no major anti-war thing. No. Uh, mm. the, the the politics are too. Are, are the 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 politics in Canada are too clear. Russia, uh, given the, the 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 prominence of the Ukrainian Canadian community, and given the fact that there are prominent Ukrainian they, that they're not wedded to one political party. Given that uh, whether it's the conservatives in the West, they have those Western seats or whether it's the liberals in the NDP want more of those Western seats where a lot of the whether are even more Ukrainian Canadians like and given the fact that, again, people on the left can hate Russia uh, based on the fact that Russia is a right wing country. Some of it's even probably rooted in like persistent narratives, however accurate about the 2016 election in the United States, Mm. where a lot of people blame Vladimir Putin for Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and, and to oppose Russia is to oppose Trump and to oppose the right wing. And a lot of people see this, uh, see Putin as part of a rising right wing nationalist block. That's not just in Russia, but that's in, uh, the United States. That's in, um, Brazil. I know Bolsonaro was just defeated, but that's in Italy. Uh, that's in Poland. That's in Hungary. And that you could oppose Putin as that, even though a lot of those things exist in, in Ukraine, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I just, it did not surprise me. It did not surprise you, you me. You know, maybe I should have been more realistic when 
I think it was a month before that, or around that time, we couldn't even get rid of and tear down the statues that were in Oakville to former SS commanders that the Ukrainian community were touting. Remember that story? They called the police. Well, some elements of the Ukrainian community, right? Yes, like we should yes. make it very clear that Ukrainian, not every many, Ukrainian, many leftist Ukrainians, of uh, course. Uh, in Canada are some of the most vocal critics of their, as often is the case, the most yeah. vocal critics of their own problematic heritage, just like many leaders in the fight for Palestinian against mm-hmm. Israeli apartheid are actually are, are Jewish or Israeli or, or, or what have you. But, but yes, they're, it's a fraught issue. It's yeah. a very fraught issue in Canada. And you're right that that is a sign uh, of, of that. I, yeah. I, and, and I think, it's just, you know, Volodymyr Zelensky, time person of the year. I know time doesn't always have to give it to the to a good guy, but man, I just know the, the, this was not going to be a fight that you won, that the anti-war movement was going to win. Yeah. It just it wasn't it, the politics, the political coalitions were too were too difficult. Depressing as ever. Well, sticking on that note, another very noteworthy event that happened in 2022 that I think generally people kind of agreed on in ways that I did not expect. The queen is dead. Long live the queen. We lost again, our head of state, the, the leader of the Commonwealth. And now we got King Charles now leading us. And I just remember throughout the year, there were discussions that we had and people have had for decades since she was the queen for like 300 years about, (laughs) getting rid of the British monarchy as the head of state here in Canada. Many other you know, Commonwealth nations were pushing that before this was happening and are still doing that and obviously have done that. Yeah, some we're, have delayed, but some yeah. are still going ahead. I think, I, like, for example, Australia, with big, a new Labour government, on it, yeah. we're, but yeah, we're, we're, with a new Labour government, basically said, like, we're going to chill for now on it, right? I think, but some of the Caribbean countries, yeah, some of the Caribbean countries are moving ahead more. And I think that might be a function of the fact that uh, you know, uh, they might even feel less connected to the monarch than than yeah. Australia as a former white dominion uh, versus like, you know, a, a, a kind of like true kind of colony. Right. Um, I will say, Crystal, you called it early on when I thought, oh, you know, maybe this will have some inciting incident. You know, we're not going to see King Charles on money here in Canada. There's going to be a big shift. It has been crickets. No one no. really gives a shit about talking about, at least public, you know, with any sort of juice behind it, getting Canada out of the Commonwealth, removing uh, the yeah. royal family. From, it's just not happening at all. It's, like it's a mixture it's not of the discussed. fact that it's like, it's it's really hard to do. We've yeah, talked you about explained. This. Like, it's wild. Like It's like Canada. I don't know. I'm not an expert in all the countries, but Canada, it might be the hardest country to get rid of the monarchy in mm-hmm. because of our, the, 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 the structure of our constitution and all of that, right? Uh, it might be the most difficult. Um, I think one of my favorite quotes for the whole year, Christo, you said. People just don't care that much, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my favorite quotes of the year, you said that Canada might have <laughs> a king and queen of England in Canada past the UK, that they might get rid of it there and we will still have it, which I think is yeah. just I mean, I don't think they're dystopian. going to, for example. Like, like, for example, Charles, one, was not as reviled pre the queen's passing as as he used to be yeah like the only members of the royal family that are truly hated are the pervert and the black woman 
Uh, those are the, 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 yeah. the those are the people that are really hated, right? There's like there's the there's the guy who did the things with the kids, uh, with the Epstein and the and the Bill Clinton and the Donald Trump, all of that, the Epstein Island aficionado, <laughs> uh, and then there's the there's the, the, the there's the woman who was uh, and who still is black. Yeah, the Those woman the, who was black yeah, and didn't want her kids to have death threats against them. Yeah, for being yeah. So mixed they, you race. know, like, they're, they're, but like, but like, he was like not super popular. But yeah. pe- when when he became king, in, his numbers went up, and more and more people said they're fine with him being king. The, the British are not getting rid of their monarch anytime soon, like yeah. in our lifetimes, guaranteed. Uh, other countries, who knows, right? It depends on desire and also like the mechanisms, right? But I can say this, like. In Canada, it seems like a plurality of people in a just in a passing sense don't want a monarch anymore. Yeah, but certainly aren't necessarily willing to go through the politics of it. And I've even seen some polls where it's like the same polling firm where it's like one week. It's like, would you prefer us to be like a monarch a monarchy or a republic or whatnot? And a plurality picks the republic. But then it's like, do you want to change the constitution to make Canada a republic? And people are like, no. And it's close, but it's like a yeah. narrow majority. I want to know who quo. in 2022 are like, I love being part of part of the monarchy. I really like that. I mean, I'm not sure. There's probably like 20, 30 percent of Canadians that really love it. Man. Maybe older people, mm-hmm. certain types of conservatives, but not exclusively conservatives. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's not the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like, look, monarchism, especially within the, the 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 British, like, if the worst thing our conservatives were were monarchists, we'd yeah, be in a good, good position, plan. right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if their worst thing is like, hey, I like like the the Queen stuff, like, you know <laughs> I, I like mean? Game like, of Thrones, but it nothing is happening. I really like that. <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, yeah. I, it's I not going to happen here is basically what you're saying. The, uh, yeah. The chances it's, of that is what just... I just, the constitutional mechanisms are too strong. Again, we've explained this before, but for those who have like in Canada, basically to make a constitutional change in one province, the province just has to like approve that hypothetically, like any, like if a, like, you know, if there's like a constitutional change that's affects one province, it's relatively easy to do, but in general, to make a general constitutional change, any change, you got to get seven provinces uh, which together add up to at least 50% of the population, meaning that you're going to need Ontario or Quebec and then like a whole bunch of other provinces, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Likely you're going to need like two or three of the big four and then like most of the rest, you know, to, to, to get a constitutional amendment. But there are certain types of changes. Forget the entire list. Some of them are like abolishing the Senate, for example. Like, Harper wanted to abolish the Senate. One of the few uh, things I agreed with Harper, he actually, like, legit wanted to do that. He wasn't lying. He didn't, he just, ideologically, he didn't like the unelected Senate. Fair enough. He went to the Supreme Court, and they said, they confirmed, like, you you can't really do it without a constitutional amendment, and that constitutional amendment would require unanimity. That's one of those ones that requires mm. unanimity. Now, remember, the United States, for instance, who, who again, they haven't uh, amended their constitution in our lifetimes, I don't believe, uh, and they, you know, they they they've amended their constitution quite a bit throughout history, but theirs only requires, I think, three quarters of the states. It's either two thirds of the states or three quarters, um, but that's like for any change, I believe, right? In Canada, mm-hmm. it's seventy percent, 
and then as much as 100%. So you can imagine a scenario where whether it's based on the will of a particular province, because maybe there's a province where the queen actually is, or the, the king or queen or whoever it is at the time, is quite beloved, you could imagine a scenario, hypothetically, where, uh, you know, one province is like, just blocks it. Either because yeah. it's a conservative government or a government that's just like, we don't care. Or a, a, a party is like, well, we have some other demands we want ah. to make. Right? <laughs> there could be that too. So no, we're not, we're not going to see the abolishment of the monarchy. And I think Charles in that sense is like, I don't know. I feel like he's not going like, to not gonna fuck it up so bad. <laughs> and I think part of it also, and this is like a thing even in the UK, people I think are more open to William and Kate. And mm. Charles is already pretty old. Now yeah. I know his family his family's got good genes, right? I know his grandfather died young, but his grandmother lived to like 101, his mom lived to like 97, and his dad lived to like 99, right? Yeah. So like there's good genes in that in that in that in that Well, you very, should say longevity genes, not yeah. good genes, just yeah, yeah, longevity. Yeah, 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 very yeah, <laughs> the, 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 a, bu a bunch of cousins. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, but but like but in reality, like it may, maybe he lives for a long time, but he might also die in like 10 years, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising if he dies in like his early 80s like life expectancy is what in britain like 75 yeah, 77 probably going down right now right with <laughs> you know it's probably plummeting right now um i don't know but i i think i think we're fine and we're, we're gonna see him on our money i think i think we're gonna see Ooh. some of those things we're gonna they might like they might they'll probably put them on all the i don't i wonder if they'll scale it back that'll be an interesting yeah, thing because right now the queen's on every coin Mm -hmm. And she's on one of the bills. And I wonder if maybe they'll put him on like one coin and keep him on the bill the queen is currently on. Which I yeah. Think. You know what I mean? Maybe I, and I feel like do. that would be good enough for Canadians too. <laughs> like, isn't that interesting? Like, I do feel like for generally for people, it's like, all right, I, this is different. It's not as much in our life. I, I got used to the queen. I'm not really going to get used to it. He's just on one bill. It's okay. One thing I do think will be interesting is to like see his visit to Canada. Mm. Uh, because he will visit Canada. It'll be one of the first countries he visits. Uh, you know, he, the Queen's last visit, Queen hasn't been, hadn't visited Canada, I think it's till Queen visit. It was a while. Well, yeah, she's been. Canada. Yeah, and I don't think people are going to, look, she's very, she was very, uh, the Royal Tours of Canada, the uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth came many times to Canada. I think she visited Canada more than any other country. Mm. Um I think her last visit to Canada, when was that? I don't know. I don't know when her last visit was to Canada. <laughs> it was a but, while ago. It had but to be. Charles has visited Canada many times. He's visited Kingston. Uh, oh, wow. There's actually one of the local pubs here. There's like a picture of him pouring a pint, for instance. Um, but uh, he, he um, uh, his visit to Canada will be really interesting. Yeah, the Queen visited Canada last in 2010. Charles has been here a little bit more recently. They actually visited Canada in May of this year during oh, wow. the Platinum Jubilee. Uh, and so they visited, like, what they did part of the tour that the, the royals went around to the Commonwealth realms to, like, you know, schmooze because she couldn't do it, right? Um, so I think that his visit to Canada will be interesting. Um do crowds come out? Does he get booed? Does he get egged here in Canada? Like, you know, like that'll be, that'll be actually what I'm like, I'm looking for. Cause like, like they're not going to abolish the monarchy in Canada. Yeah. It's like how people respond. Cause the queen 
say what you will, was probably not getting booed or egged by anyone in Canada. No, she, you know she I mean? was a calming figure that you're used to, you know? Anyway, so that is our 2022 year. We want to thank you all for joining us. We really do appreciate it. We covered elections. We covered crises. We covered new politicians doing horrible things. And I guess just now, Krista, before we go, I wanted to kind of go over the the general message or meaning or hope, I guess, you have from this year going into the next. You know, a lot of what we talked about today was pretty diary. It was uh, reflecting some really horrible times that people had where we saw mass death, where we saw ignorance of government or or direct malice that led to death and suffering, a rise in hate rhetoric. And my hope from all of that is that now that we are seeing that so many of these forces are more mask off, that are saying the things that perhaps and not perhaps almost definitely they have believed ideologically and in their hearts and souls forever now is the time to come back stronger. Now is the time to not let this break you, but galvanize you because the forces you're fighting now will not be vanquished by neoliberalism and this idea of the calm third way, middle way. That will not stop the right wing wave that may come out even stronger in 2023. There needs to be progressivism. There needs to be leftism. There needs to be Canadian workers' rights pushing against capital. And I do think, I am quite hopeful that we're going to see more of that. It's just, it's a necessity. The time is for it. And that is my hope going into 2023 based on the events of 2022. Christo, what do you think? Yeah, I would say on the balance, I'm hopeful. I mean, like the teachers uh, or the educational workers uh, and how people rallied around them was really encouraging to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, young people, I think, are pretty inspiring to me. Yeah, uh, I know. Like, apparently, according to some polling, they're more pro Polyevra than 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 um they have been other conservative leaders. But I think on balance, that's pretty encouraging. I do have a lot of concerns. I, I obviously climate. One big concern, I think, and this we've talked about this is like. I'm very worried about LGBT, in particular, mm. the rights of trans people. I'm very worried about that. Maybe less imminently in much of Canada, but like it's a matter of time. Like Turf Island really kicked it off. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then like now you earlier today, I don't want to make this about earlier to, you know, that libs of TikTok account. Of course. A very prominent account that uh, has led to some hospitals getting threats and stuff like that in the States, schools in some cases, teachers being forced to quit uh, their jobs. Uh, but they they went on Tucker Carlson yet again. They have been gone many times, and they went on today and they said, not groomers within the LGBTQ community. I'm not trying to defend their comments, but they said the LGBTQ community is like a cult, and they're like coming after our kids and all that. Not elements of, not you know the drag queens, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but the LGBTQ community. Just anyone who is of that. that well, that's what she that was way. saying, right? Yeah. And I mean, normally what they've tried to do, I think basically because of tactics, I think is like, look, we're like, we're like, we're like, we love the good gays. Like first there's that LGB movement. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh, it's oh, very prominent geez. in the UK, right? Where it's like, we, we don't like the T's. The T's are not one of us. We're L, we're G, and we're B, but we're not T. 
right? Um, you know, there's there's that kind of movement. But like there's also like the gays against groomers groups and all of that, Oof, which is like, man. oh, you know, we, we are gay. We're openly proud and we're not ashamed of that. But we understand that like there are bad elements of our community and we're going to call them out and it's not wrong to do that. And what we're seeing is like a lot of these 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 um, these right wingers are, are like they're they're very quickly taking the mask off. Mm-hmm. And and saying actually it's the LGBTQ community, and we'll see about that. That's a very that's a that's a growing concern I have. Oh, jeez. Well, that is upsetting. I I we but again we talked about the different amazing activists this year that when faced with this hate that are trans and many who are just allies are fighting back so harshly, making sure that, you know, this sort of messaging won't stand. And I think it's important that it needs to be discussed, even if it's not, it's not just about capital, right? Like this stuff is important. It's not a distraction. It's not just identity politics trying to dissuade from what really needs to be done. This shit really needs to be done. And that maybe Christo, the way we know it does is because our enemies are having it in its crosshairs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's a reason why they've picked this battle. They feel like one, it could just be that they're, 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 they're bigots and they yeah. just find this bad and they want to make it bad. But also it's like, they see an opportunity here to, to, uh, to score political points. They see it as a, 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 a part of the culture war they can win. Uh, and so we need to we need to recognize that yeah, if our enemies are making it an issue, it matters, right? Now, now that doesn't that I mean it's the only thing that matters. And like like we saw in the in the recent midterm U.S. election, they tried to make it only about these things, and yeah. voters didn't reject them. Of course, Republicans did make gains in the House, but the, there was no red wave in part because, um, you know, they weren't actually offering anything concrete uh, and positive. They were just you know going on about about the culture war yeah. but there but this stuff does matter and yeah. it's something that we're gonna have to really look to and i and i do worry about and we'll have to see how uh, this this develops in canada it has not to the same degree yet yeah you have not, not seen the same not nearly the same the same mainstreaming of this yet but i do wonder if it's only a matter of time that you see polyevra uh or like uh, prominent conservatives in the in his party really start leaning into like the gays groomers discourse i mean it's almost like in canada we had this a little bit back in the the first ford election where there was mm-hmm. this big panic about the sex ed reform and yeah. how they're grooming our kids and whatnot but like but like it kind of went away after that and but we'll have to see we'll have to see all right folks well thank you again and we'll see you in 2023